Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast Weekly Sermon Podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer three service times for you to choose from. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Now, here's an encouraging word. There's been a lot of conversations about mental health lately that I, I, I want to share a message that I believe can encourage you, can strengthen you, and can help you on your journey. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read a prayer to you this morning. This morning, huh? <laughs> this evening. I want to read a prayer to you before we get into this message. It's a prayer found in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It's a prayer by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, but I also believe it's a prayer for us here in New Bedford. Can you say amen? Here's what this prayer says about what God wants to do in all of our lives. Galatians 1, 3 and 4, and I pray this over you today. I pray over you a release of the blessings of God's undeserved kindness and total well-being that flows from our Father, God, and from the Lord Jesus. He's the anointed Messiah who offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He has taken us out of this evil world system and set us free through our salvation, just as God desired. I pray over you a release of God's undeserved kindness as grace and total well-being. That's shalom. That's peace. That's God's will for all of you. Grace and peace. Undeserved kindness and your total well-being. Shalom is a compact word. means peace, prosperity, healing, strength. That's God's will for you. Can you say amen? So I'm going to title this Total Well-Being. Total Well-Being. You know, a lot of talk lately around the topic of mental health and mental illness, and rightly so, rightly so. I think it's something that's been long overdue that we zero in on a reality that's been affecting humanity since the beginning. It's not new. It's not a 21st century discovery that humans battle mental illnesses and mental health. This has been around, my friends, since the day of Adam and Eve. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you see that the moment that Adam and Eve kind of decided to do their own thing, something happened to humanity since then. Something interesting, and it's a mystery, really, to really kind of unpack because We don't know exactly how it happens, but it happened that they begin to have distorted perspective in life. They they begin to have a different understanding of life. The moment that they fell into sin and the fallen nature began part of our human experience. It's been around ever since. And, And what's interesting is you don't have to be a Christian to see that there is a fallen nature in us. Right? You ever, you ever seen a little kid? You don't teach a little kid how to lie, but that sucker will lie. Yeah, yeah, you ever been surprised by your own kid? Like, huh? who taught you that? Right? What is it? There's, a, there's, there's this reaction that a kid knows, I'd rather lie than to get into trouble. Right? And, and kids will learn how to do that on their own. No one, like, I don't think a kid sat another kid down and said, hey, let me teach you how to get away with stuff. That comes later. That's like kindergarten and especially junior high. That's when they really get experts at doing that. And all of you guys are not laughing. It looks like you've never been. Were you not in junior high? But here's the reality, my friends, is that all of us are affected by this fallen nature in a unique way. So the struggle we're talking about mental health is the fact that 
humans, we have a tendency to look down on other people's struggles if it's not our own struggle. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because it's become a stigma that people think that if you have some kind of battle in your mind, that you must be weak or you must be vulnerable or you must not be spiritual enough. It's a very dangerous thing to say to people, you're not praying hard enough or you don't have enough faith. Because Jesus never said that. Jesus actually encourages your little faith. Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, if, if I had a mustard seed up here, you wouldn't even see it. The point that Jesus was making is, it was never about your faith, it's about who you have faith in. Right? And so it's important that we establish this. I'm going to go very deep right off the bat here, that this battle that we face, we all face it, but depending on your disposition, depending on your personality, depending on your upbringing, depending on your surroundings, depending on your experiences, depending on traumas that you faced, it's all going to manifest itself differently. But we all have it to a certain degree. Now, some have it more severe than others, but all of us have some kind of mental battle that we're facing right now. I think if we were to stop right now and go around this room, we would be surprised by the reality of what's happening in the headquarters of our lives. The headquarters is the mind. That's where life happens. Before you do anything, you first think about it. Right? Before you go through anything, it first goes through the headquarters of your mind. And now, depending on how well your mind has been refined, it depends on how you cycle stuff before you deal with them. Are you tracking so far? I think it's important that we understand this. This is from the beginning. Adam and Eve, the moment that they fell, they felt the need to hide from God. Now, you know that that's mental illness because you can't hide from God. Like the psalmist tells you, where can I go to hide from God? Right? So you know something went wrong when this, I want to call it a virus. Something went wrong in the mind that made this, them trip up to say, wait, we got to hide. Right? And God plays a wrong with it, and God says, where are you? But, but here's the thing that a lot of people miss. God was not saying, where are you physically? God was saying, where are you spiritually? Because if you were in your right mind, you would have never asked the question in the first place. Right? And then they had children, and then the children begin to show even deeper disposition of what happens to the mental mind. Like, Cain and Abel were brothers, but Cain killed Abel because Cain thought that Abel was being favored by God, but God actually told Cain, why would you do that? I will bless your life just like I bless Abel. But you see how the mind can get twisted. Right? And then from there on, my friends, you can read the Bible and see it throughout. No one is immune to this battlefield of the mind. Everyone struggles with some type of mental battle, including Jesus. Did you know this? Isaiah prophesying about Jesus said he's a man of sorrows. Jesus had moments when he was grieved. Jesus had moments when he was stressed. See, this is why it's important that we don't categorize people according to the battles because every battle is unique, including the Son of God on earth battling stress and anxiety and worry and even loneliness. So I say all this right off the bat to put us all in the same category here. My friends, we have to be careful with this. There's no such thing as a super Christian. Like there are no Avengers in our midst. Even the Avengers need salvation. So, so we need to establish this right off the bat. We need to get off the stigma of you're not praying hard enough or you don't have enough faith. You know, no, it's, you are human. And this is part of the human struggle. Now, we don't have to be defined by those things. But we also, you cannot 
get a breakthrough if you don't first recognize that you have something to break through. We can't live in denial. Right? That's why it's important to talk about these things openly because the more you talk about something openly, the more you, you, you bring down the strength that he has over you. The reason why a lot of people don't get breakthroughs in life is because they live this stuff alone. And the enemy will love to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one that goes through this stuff. You're the only one that's thinks through stuff. You're the only one that feels this stuff. But the reality is, no, you are just a human being, just like the next person. Just some of us are better at hiding it than others. Some of us are better at masking it than others. Are you tracking so far? So depending on your disposition and the experiences that you've had and the traumas that you've experienced and, and, and the lifestyle that you live so far, it's going to manifest itself differently, right? For some people, depression is real. For other people, suicidal thoughts are real. For others, it's just constant anger that looms your life. Like Cain, the Bible says, God says, why are you angry? For some of us, it's loneliness. You could be in the middle of this church service right now and still feel lonely, surrounded by people. You can have 1,500 friends on Facebook and still feel lonely. You can, go to a, you can go to a club tonight and still feel lonely. The reason why a lot of people go to clubs is because they feel lonely. If you were to be honest. Right? For some people, it's unhealthy comparisons. Always comparing ourselves to somebody else. Some people never feel good enough. Some people could have all the money in the world and the best cars and the best house and still feel like something is missing. Some people, it's codependence. They, can, they don't know. See, some people struggle with loneliness. Some people struggle with loneliness but with codependency. Like they don't know how to be alone because they always rely on somebody to somehow sustain them or to somehow trigger the right things for them to somehow feel connected and to somehow feel happy and to somehow feel alive. Listen, all of us have some of these struggles going on. Some people, it's anxiety. They're always anxious about something. And we can go on and on and on. But the reality is all of us, and I mean every single human being on the face of the planet has some kind of mental battle that they go through. And I love the Bible because the Bible is honest about the human journey. One of my favorite things about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't hide anything. It's not a fairy tale. It tells you that, yes, we all are going through this stuff. Right? And tonight, I just want to zero in on one man in the Bible just to, just to show you how real this is. But also to show you that there is hope. There, there is strength. Right? There's breakthrough. Right? But we have to first admit that we have a problem, right? And that we need this healing to take place. And I wanna say this, and I pray you understand this, that if you are saved tonight, right, which means like if you've surrounded your, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, right, and you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, right, I believe you, you are saved, but I believe you are being saved, and I believe that you will be saved. Right, I believe it's a, it's a constant thing. Here's the reality, my friends. It's possible, it's possible to be saved and still live like you're not. It's possible to be saved and be, still be trapped in your mind. Why? Because salvation happens in a moment. But the journey to see the fullness of what that salvation looks like happens in a lifetime. In a lifetime. Like you ever heard the saying, it takes about 15 years to be an overnight success? That's salvation. That's why a lot of people, listen, again, tonight I, I, I feel like I just, I'm just going to go there. See, this is why a lot of people don't see fullness of fruit because they'll come to church, they'll have an, an experience, but then they don't stick around long enough to see the fruits. Because no, no, no farmer plants today to sow tomorrow. Right? Some things, let me just be clear because we live in an instant gratification society. Some things that you sow today, you don't see until 10 years from now. And most people don't stick around long enough to see the fullness of what it could be 
if you could just stick around long enough. So I got a word for us tonight. Let's stick around long enough to see the fruits of what God wants to do. Because you can't undo a lifestyle in a, in a Sunday. And you can't undo it in two Sundays or three Sundays. You can't live a certain way for 20 years and expect it tomorrow to be all gone. Usually God takes us through a journey to see the fullness of what he wants to do. So if you're in this thing for instant gratification, I'm sorry, but you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. There are moments where the heaven and earth is so tangible, but those moments are so far in between. That's why some people bounce from church to church. They're trying to get instant gratification. But you're not going to see it. Just like you're not going to see the fullness of what a relationship is like if you don't stick around when things get hard and when, and when it gets difficult. You're not going to see it. if You don't, you don't know what, what your marriage is made of until you go through some stuff. Right? You, you don't know what business you're going to have until your business hits some stuff. And then you, you, you say, no, I was called to this business. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to see the fullness of what God wants to do with this thing. I'm, I'm telling you, you got to see it through. Tell somebody, see it through. So allow me to illustrate all this through one man tonight. One of the greatest prophets who ever lived. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a powerful prophet who was called by God very early in life. Basically, this is how the book of Jeremiah begins. Jeremiah chapter 1 tells you this about Jeremiah. Look at this. Jeremiah, here's what God says about this prophet. I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Very early in life, you know, scholars believe that Jeremiah was probably between the ages of 16 and 21 when God called him to ministry to be a prophet to the nations. Very early, called by God. Matter of fact, he serves God for 40 years. 40 years of ministry that's a long time. I'm 41. Jeremiah served God faithfully for 40 years. But my friends, he was called by God, but he struggled with depression. This is Jeremiah 1. Can I show you Jeremiah 20? Okay, chapter 20. Look what Jeremiah says about his own self. Watch this. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Same, same person, same Bible, same scriptures, just 20 verses later. How do you go from, I formed you in my mother's womb, to I wish I was never born in the first place? You see how real this is? This is a prophet, one of the major prophets, by the way, of the Bible. One of those that God says, you are going to prophesy the coming of the Messiah. Jeremiah spoke about the coming of Jesus. God trusted him with this ministry. But in 40 years of ministry, Jeremiah gets to this place several times. If you read his, Bible, his, his book, several times Jeremiah shows you the inward battles and struggles that he had, even though he was called by God from a very young age. See why we can't say to people, you're not praying hard enough? You don't have enough faith? Here's one called by God himself. Here's a man who can say, thus saith the Lord, and still battle with depression. Right? The, the, the pressures of ministry got the best of him. He had a really tough ministry. God called him to speak judgment over Israel again and again. God was saying that they're, they're stubborn in their ways. They won't repent. I need you to stand up and tell the truth. And when you do that, it's a warfare. People were ridiculing him, mocking him. People were calling him all kinds of names. And Jeremiah gets to the place because he loves these people. This was not because he hated it, because he loved his people that he got to the place that he's like, God, I wish I was never doing this. What makes a person get to this place? 
It shows you the reality of the mental battles that we all face. My friends, one of the struggles that all of us face when it comes to mental battle is verse 1 and verse 18. What do I mean by that? We all battle the reality of what God says about us versus how we feel about ourselves. I want you to understand when you read the Bible, you have to put yourself in it. This is not just about Jeremiah. God didn't give us these books just to say, hey, look out, Jeremiah. He's like, no, God's saying, like, this is also how you are going to go through this stuff. So one of the number one things when it comes to mental battle, especially as believers, is what does God say about you versus what do you believe about yourself? And if you go back to verse chapter 1, if you keep reading right after God says, I called you since you were young, Jeremiah automatically rejected it and said, no, I'm, I'm too young to be doing that. In other words, he's not accepting what God says about himself. You can come to church for 20, 30 years and not accept what God says about you. It's a real, it's a real battle. For some of us, we have a hard time accepting the fact that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Because we feel like somehow we have to earn the grace of God. And again, especially depending on how you grew up and your upbringing and how you were treated and, and what, what was spoken over you, it's very hard to receive from a father when sometimes your earthly father did never spoke life over you. It's a challenge to really receive. And then when life comes at you for him as ministry, which by the way, I hope you understand this, this is a real battle that pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles face. Listen, church leaders are leaving ministries by the hundreds. And a majority of reasons is because of mental battles. So this is very real and raw. This is no sugar-coated, this is no fairy tale. This is a real thing in the church, sometimes singing, speaking in tongues, but we're depressed. It's real. Ministry crushed his spirit. It broke him. This is just one of the many verses that you see him crushed, grieved, down on the reality that, man, I'm giving my life to this and no one cares. That's real. I know for a fact that this is real from personal experience. It's a real thing to feel this way. Now, Jeremiah voiced this in his heart, but he had a resolve in his spirit. I, I pray you catch this. Okay. He, he voiced this in his heart in his feelings, but he had a resolve in his spirit. This is important. I pray you catch this tonight, right? That yes, you can feel a certain way, but it doesn't mean you have to accept it and let it become you. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be a victim to your circumstances, situation, even when it is in your mind. And this is what I want to get to tonight. Right? That, that this is the reality, but guess what? We don't have to stay there. Right? And so tonight, my friends, if we're going to overcome our mental battles, the first thing I want to say to you tonight is there is a difference between reality and expectations. This is where the disconnect is a lot of times, isn't it? Like if we were, to, again, if we, if we can take down our church masks and have an honest conversation, we would say the majority of a mental battle comes from the fact that there is reality and then there's expectations. What we want versus what we're getting. What we believe for versus what the reality is will trigger circuits in our, main, in our minds. And here, my friends, is where we get disappointed with God. We get disappointed with people. And then we get disappointed with life. I just had a conversation this week. Uh, a young man who loves Jesus very much. 
but he feels disappointed that God has not answered his prayers. And he's telling me, what's the point? Why even bother praying? God's not answering my prayer. Because why? There is reality and then there's expectation. My friends, we're all familiar. If you grew up in the church, we're all familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you hope in the future. But here is where the rubber meets the road. God says, I have a plan, but you don't know what that plan is. The problem is we take God's plan and put our expectations in it. He didn't say, hey, I know the plan I have for you, and here's what it is. He says, no, I know the plan. Now the rest is for you to trust me. But the problem is we say God has a plan, and here's the plan. Like, we told God what the plan is. Like, God says, I'm calling you to go be a prophet to my nation, but he never told them what the reality was. Because if God told them what the reality was, we would never leave the dock. Are you tracking with me? This is very important. There's a lot of people disappointed with God because of their own plans. There's people who are disappointed with you because they have plans for you that you never knew about. I know this firsthand. There are people disappointed with me as a pastor because they have plans for this church that they never told me about. Like, this is the reality. And sometimes even in marriages, there are couples who are disappointed with each other because they had a certain expectation versus the reality. And no one never bothered to ask, What's the reality? Because when I read scriptures, one thing that Jesus makes it clear, he says, hey, in this world, you're going to have troubles. But he, but he said, yeah, but I overcome, so will you. But he didn't, he didn't shy away from the reality. Hey, even your blessings, he says, are going to come with persecution. Are you tracking? Oh, this is, I know this is not what we want to hear. That's why there's a difference between reality and expectation. I want, to, I want to say this. Again, this is a mature word tonight. Trusting in God does not guarantee anything other than himself. Trusting in God does not guarantee anything other than himself. Paul the Apostle, who single-handedly took Christianity to the ends of the earth on his time, the greatest missionary who ever lived. There's Paul and there's Jesus and there's Paul when it comes to Christianity. Paul, who people who walk by his shadow and get healed. Paul said he prayed three times for something. And we don't know what that is. The scholars have been debating this. Some people believe it's a mental battle. Some people believe it was an actual physical illness. But Paul says, I prayed, and, and God didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer. But here's what Paul says God says to him. And I believe it's what God says to us sometimes. Here's what Paul says, the answer that he got back from God when he prayed about the same thing over and over again. Look, Paul said this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Amen. Trusting in God guarantees nothing but God himself. God says, you get me sometimes. And you may not get the healing, but you'll get me. You may not get the job, but you'll get me. You may not get the spouse, but you'll get me. You may not get the house, but you'll get me. You may not get the, the physical healing, but you'll get me. And my grace is sufficient for you, for my power works best in your weakness. And let me, I, I want to say this, this, again, a mature word tonight. I believe those are those things that will keep you from going back to God again and again and again. Sometimes God will let something there because that's the very thing that's keeping you from continuously going after him and pursuing him as the God that you really love and care for. Not just as a God that can give you stuff that you love. 
We don't know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we got. We live in the greatest country in the world, so this is hard to understand. Because you can sing tonight and your bank account is good. You're going to go home to a warm house. You can sing tonight and, and have other things that you can rely on. But go to some parts of the world where this is all they, they have. And you will see how powerful this is when Jesus is all you got. This is why I love about going to mission strip. I was in Belize, in a very poor part of Belize, because people only see the cruises, but they don't see the reality of the country. And I was in a in a in a church service like this. It's very small. The church basically was a little house, you know, and, and the worship was basically one person singing and, another, and, and a young man who walked in late and sat in the drums and began to beat that drums. And we had a worship service for over an hour with just two people leading worship because you never know what Jesus is all you have until Jesus is all you got. And, and in the morning, we would get up and they would do breakfast for us. And if you go in this kitchen, they didn't even have salt, but they'll be singing sing songs to Jesus in the morning. You would think they were in heaven because you understand that sometimes you have to understand in life, Jesus is all you got and Jesus is all you need. But you don't know that until you get to this place. And nobody understands this more than people who are struggling in their mind to say, God, I'm going to hold on to you. This is what Jeremiah teaches us. If we're going to overcome anything, we have to understand that sometimes God lets everything be bare in order for you to see him well. It's a very challenging word for us because we have to be very comfortable in order to worship God. Right? But my grace is sufficient for you. And only people who get to this place get to experience that. That's why Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, much he, that person worships. Why? Because they understand. It's all I got. When it's all said and done, this is it. Jeremiah understood this. Despite his depression, his depression did not define him. Because he knew that God's grace would be sufficient for him. But it doesn't mean you deny the reality of what you're going through. We're not called to be fakers. We're called to be faith people. There's a difference. Right? I don't have to fake it. I can faith it. There's a difference. Right? Now, I want to give us some practical things from, from Jeremiah's life to show you how you can live this meaningful life. One of the people that I recommend when it comes to mental battle is a woman named Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a neuroscientist. We actually used her book when we, did that, when we talked about my mind's playing tricks on me. She has a great podcast about learning to do mental self-care. Because you have to understand that your mind needs self-care. Right? And she says this. She says, listen, if, you, if you're going to overcome and if you're going to be able to have a meaningful life, even with your battles in the mind, you have to understand this. And she said this. I love this quote. Look what she said. She said, true mental self-care it's not chocolate cake and spa days. It's making choices each day that creates a life that you don't need to regularly escape from. That's powerful. Because usually what do we do when we are in a mental warfare? We want some kind of escape. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to face it. My friends, denial does not mean... It it went away. Depending on your personality, we all try to escape differently. Some people drink to escape. Some people get high to escape. Some people watch Netflix to escape. Like the moment a show is over, you start another one. But the reality is, it's not going to go away. Right? It doesn't matter how many times you try to escape, you have to face it. And you have to deal with it. Right, fill in the blanks where it is for you. Now, nothing wrong with chocolate cake. <laughs> I, I don't want you to leave church and be like, yo, I like chocolate cake. Nothing wrong with spas. Someone say hello. Like, come on. What he's saying is, 
they're not enough. They're not enough. You have choices to make each day if you want to live a life that you don't want to regularly escape from. You ever talk to people every other day, they're like, I can't wait to get out of this thing. Right? You've heard me say this many times. People are like, I can't wait to leave New Bedford. I'm like, yeah, well, where are you going to go to get away from you, though? Because no matter where you go, you are right there. It's like when people church hop. It's like no matter where you go, you're bringing you with you. You're going to get to heaven and not even like heaven. But chapter 20 of Jeremiah is deeper than just him telling you that he feels grieved. But he tells you how he battles. This is where this gets good. If you go to Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah shows you principles that he lives by for 40 years, even dealing with depression. His depression never went away. I want to make that clear. But his depression never defined him. So look at this, verse 9 in chapter 20. He tells you this. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. How powerful is that? Do you understand? Again, I love the honesty of Jeremiah. He's telling you, I want to quit. First part of this is telling you, listen, there's part of me that's like, I don't never want to preach again. I never want to tell anybody about Jesus again. You know, Rick Warren was saying, hey, Pastor Rick, you ever try, you ever think about quitting? He goes, yeah, every Monday. <laughs> but by Tuesday, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Principle number one, if you're going to overcome any mental battle, Principle one number one, please write this down. You must learn to put God's word over your feelings. We all need something to ground our lives in. But it better be something that can sustain you. Something that can hold you. An anchor for your soul. Because your feelings are fleeting. They come and go. But you need something to anchor it down so it's not taking you all over the place. So Jeremiah is saying, oh, I know it's there, but I have to go to the Word. I have to be rooted in something that's greater than me. Something that can withstand the test of time. Because everything changes around us. Let's be real. People come and go. And people disappoint you. Jobs come and go. Money comes and go. Relationships comes and goes. And at the end of the day, the only thing that we have that we can really say can be constant is the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will always remain. <laughs> always remain. My friends, he was tempted to give up. I want to tell you something tonight. Quitting is not an option. I pray you have that resolution in your mind. I don't care how bad he gets. I don't care how messed up he gets. I am not quitting. I am not quitting. Quitting is not. This is why I told you is his mind played tricks on him, but his spirit was resolved. The Bible says there's power in a made-up mind that I'm going to be rooted on God's word over my feelings. In other words, my feelings have to submit to the word. If your feelings doesn't submit to the word, your, your life will submit to your feelings. And your life will submit to your battles. All of us have them. But how many of us are allowing it to define us? The word pressed against his very being. Shut up in his bones. I love that. Like, in other words, it's one with him. You know, the prophets were very prophetic people, and they were very poetic people. What he's saying is, like, this thing is in me. Like, I can't, I can't shake it. You ever see people say, it's in my blood. It's in my blood to be Italian, you know. It's in... 
So think about that as a believer. It's in my blood to have the word in me, rooted me, grounded me, making me, shaping me, empowering me. It's in me. This is so critical, my friends. We have to understand the importance of being in the word of God. Right now, as I speak, we're being grounded in the word if you are paying attention. Because Jesus said it's about those who have an ear, the ear, in the spirit. It's not just you showed up physically. It's are you receiving in the spirit. Right? It's important to be rooted and grounded in God's word because your feelings are going to be all over the place. But you need something to ground yourself in. Are you tracking? So can I tell you something, my friends? This is so critical. If you're going to overcome... We must learn to unplug from the things of the world. Because too many of us are fighting, but then we're adding fuel to the fire by opening doors to the things of the world. Can I tell you one of the reasons why, this is not even me saying, I've been doing research, this is the world saying this. One of the reasons they're saying, the reason why this mental health thing has like skyrocketed, they said one of the main reasons, social media. This is not me saying, these, these, are, these are doctors, psychiatrists talking about this. They're saying it has heightened the battles because why? We don't know how to shut down anymore. We don't know how to go into our corners anymore and seek God anymore. Why? Because we're always being bombarded by something. Now, remember, we love social media here. But the problem is social media can be a tool for good or it can be a tool that will just keep drifting you back. Everything comes down to how we use it and not let it use you. You know, everybody that has some kind of addiction always tells you, I can stop anytime I want. You ever heard people say that? Oh, I don't, I don't drink in problem. I can stop anytime I want. I don't have a social media problem. I can stop anytime I want. Anytime I want. Right? Again, I don't want to demonize anything. What I'm saying is, if we are not careful, we end up being used instead of a tool being useful. So it's important, my friends, that, listen, this is where it's so critical. This is where maturity comes in. You have to be aware of what triggers you. If you're not aware of what triggers you, then you will always keep doing the same things and expect different results. You have to know that the moment you go on to something, it, it's just something is not sitting right with you. Pay attention. Maybe the Spirit of God is trying to tell you, uh, don't open that door. That door is the reason why you keep being anxious and you keep being worried and you keep being frustrated. About six or eight months ago, I decided to leave Facebook for good. Like I deactivated it. You know? And again, I'm not against social media, okay? But this week, I told one of our staff members, hey, show me our church Facebook, because it's been a long time. I want to know what's going on. And he started to show me, he started to scroll. And I'm like, the more you scroll, the more I felt like, ah. And I said, man, I'm glad I'm not on this thing. Does that mean you? No. What I'm saying is pay attention. Pay attention to what's sometimes... Let's be real. Sometimes it's not Facebook. Sometimes it's a person. Like sometimes it's a person you keep hanging out with and your spirit keeps giving you all kinds of... Your spirit is like a baseball coach. And you're like, huh? Yeah. Have you noticed every time you hang out with Johnny, you feel anxious? If there's a Johnny in the room, I'm sorry. Every time you hang out with Sally, you're mad. Right, pay attention. Sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a place. Like some people come to church, get blessed, and go to a place and lose it all. Right, pay attention. God will try to speak to you. Listen, okay, mature word tonight. Sometimes it's what you're watching. Now, listen, I'm not one of those guys my mama said is of the devil. I'm not. 
You know that. But I am a guy that says, discern. If this show is making you depressed and hurting and lonely, guess what? Unplug it. When I was a high school teacher, it used to blow my mind. I see kids struggling with fear, and I tell them, what are you doing for this weekend? Oh, we, we're going to go watch the new scary movie. You're the same kid that every prayer request is fear. Now you're going to add to it. Or the kid is like angry all the time. Hey, what are you listening to? Eminem. It's very therapeutic. You get what I'm saying? It's not good or bad. Is, is it helping you? Right? Is it helping you? We have to discern, like, because one thing that, that, that might trouble my soul may not trouble your soul. So this is why we have to be careful not to be religious about this stuff and say, Facebook is of the devil. It's not. But it may not be for everybody. You get what I'm saying? Like, a, a movie may be fine for you, but for somebody else, it might trigger some stuff. And the Bible says you, you, you should care about your brother so much that you don't put him or her in a situation that they're going to fall. So if someone says, man, I, I don't want to watch that. What are you, scared or something? Well, you're not a man enough. No, you're supposed to protect your brother or your sister from stumbling. <laughs> Unplug, my friends, from the things of the world. Listen, oh, I'm going long. I got a lot more. You guys, are, are you egging me on or are you just pretending? Because that's <laughs> what happens when I don't preach for a week. I, I come back. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Look at what he says. I have heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten. If you say anything, we will report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. See what he's dealing with? Second principle. Second principle is perception is not reality. Perception is not reality. We all have rumors going on in our minds right now. Some of you came into this place. Someone looked at you. They daydreaming. You already got rumors in your mind that they don't like you. Isn't that amazing how it goes? I used to ask, always ask my students this, what was your perception of me day one and what was your perception of me at the end of the year? They always, it was always different. Because you walk in a room and you look at the guy and you start, you've done it, you walk into this church, you had your judgment. Just talking to a homeless man outside, he goes, first time I came, I walked in, I was like, oh. <laughs> they got the TV, they got, and then he goes, by the time I was done, I was like, oh my God, these people, Loved me, cared for me, even though I came in here with a certain perception, but the reality was different. The reality is never the perception. You know how many people we judge in our minds without even knowing them? You know how many people on Facebook, we say something about me that I'm like, I've never met you. You decided who I am based on little clips that you see of me. You see why Jeremiah was going through stuff? Because people pass judgment without even getting to know you. Now, you can't help that. It's up to you what you do with it. You have to even doubt your own doubts. Like, there's a voice that runs in your mind that says, man, you never get it right. You got to doubt that voice. Sometimes you got to tell that voice, like, wait, I never got it right ever. Ever in my life, I've never got anything right. We know it's not true. But we buy into perception instead of reality. Listen, I'm going to go as far as saying this. Listen, don't believe every thought, but also don't believe every voice. Not everybody that speaks over your life should have weight over your life. I try to teach this to our young staff. It's like, hey, when someone compliments you or, or, or criticizes you, don't just say, don't just listen to what they said. Pay attention who said it. 
because it should have different type of weight. If my dad says something to me, carries weight, it's my dad. But if Joe Schmo down the street says something about me, who are you? But if I don't have a good understanding of who I am, then anyone who says anything will mean something. Let me tell you, listen, we're having a mature night tonight. Some of you will come up to me and, and talk about the message. Eh. But a new person who doesn't know Jesus comes to church and says something about the message. Then I'm like, okay, I'm listening because why? You're new. You're, you're, you're hungry. You're not here to criticize. You're here to get fed. So I'm going to listen to the right voices that speaks. But you have to constantly be checking who you are so you don't let the wrong voices tell you who you are. Because everybody has an opinion of you that you don't have of yourself. Oh, this is a good word. Listen, we must not believe every thought because not every thought is real. And we not, be not believe every voice. Because all these guys who were talking about him have no idea that he was called by God to do the will of God. And please, by all means, I hope that we don't listen to the world over the word. Perception is not reality. There are many times, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Many times, thoughts come to my head. I have to say it out loud. Nah. If you don't talk to yourself, yourself will talk to you. Like, I have to be like, nah, nah, you, nah. You should see me in my car. I'd be like, nah. <laughs> no way. I tell you, learn to talk to yourself. Go read the Psalms. They talk to themselves all the time. Why? Because they know there's perception. I'm going to speak reality. I'm going to speak life. Here's what, I love Paul. Paul is in jail. Paul is in jail. Talk about a situation that can define you and he refuses to be defined by his situation. Here's what Paul says, behind bars, not a Starbucks, behind bars. Paul, this is not the scripture. You guys never changed it. I know what I'm coming for. But it's, it's Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. You can look it up. Write it down. Philippians 4.8. Paul says, listen. Oh, there it is. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix. Say Fix. Your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix. You know what the word fix in, in, in Greek is? Fix. <laughs> Which is, it tells you it's a discipline. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. You're talking about how quickly he should have been a victim. He refused to be a victim to his circumstance. Paul always had a victor mindset. And I'm not, I'm not talking even about American jails. This is first century jail where basically the sewer would be running right under their feet. With crazy smells and rats and everything. And Paul's like, no, fix your thoughts. Because if you don't, think about it. Read between the lines. If I don't fix my thoughts on what is good, I'm going to fix my thoughts on everything else around me. And that's a daily discipline to fix your thoughts. It doesn't come naturally to some of us. I don't know about you guys. I'm not optimistic by nature. I don't get up and go, oh, my God, this. I literally have to apprehend my thoughts and begin to fix my mind, begin to fix my heart. Like, I have to start my day with prayer. If I don't start my day with prayer, someone somewhere is going to be praying for me. Like, I have to pray and I have to get in the Word. That's the first thing I do every single day because I know my mind will go somewhere else if I don't give it something to focus on. The problem is, a lot of us will start our day and let our minds just go. No, it's like you have to position yourself to have a great day on purpose. Can you say amen? I got to run. This is, oh, wow. Look at verse 11. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. I love that. They cannot defeat me. 
they will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. They dishonor will never be forgotten. Paul, Jeremiah says, I'm going to be rooted on God's grace. The Lord stands beside me. His grace, his mercy is with me. I'm going to be rooted on God's grace. I'm not going to let people define me. I'm going to be rooted on God's grace. So I'm going to run real quick with this thought. Despite his pain, Jeremiah found confidence in God. God's grace is greater than any thought, pain, or misery that you'll find yourself in. Always bring your pain to God. Let your pain drive you to God, not away from God. Right? Learn to speak God's word over your life. There's an exercise I want to teach you. It's very simple. It's very practical. Especially when your feelings are getting the best of you. Listen, you counteract your feelings by speaking God's word. Last month we did prayer here. All we did was speak God's word. It's powerful. Because when you're speaking God's word, your feelings are not going to take you all over the place. You're rooting yourself. Very simple exercise. Learn to sit and begin to say what you already know about God. Begin to say, I am loved, I'm forgiven, I am justified, I am blessed, I am the head and not the tail. If God be for me, who can be against me? And, and the more you do that, the more you're building up your inner self, the more you're strengthening your inner person and you're saying no to the things that the enemy is trying to bring against you. You don't have to feel like it to speak God's word because when you speak God's word, then you feel like it because you have to position yourself to win in life by just declaring the things you want to see. Let me run real quick. Last thing tonight. Listen, verse 12 is so powerful. He says, O Lord of heaven, armies, you test those who are righteous and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them. But watch this. Here's how he ends this thought. He goes, verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. The last principle to overcome mental battles is worship and gratitude. Worship and gratitude, my friends, are powerful. Did you know this? This is a study done. This is not just a Christian study. This is a universal study. Music. They said, here are the benefits of singing out loud. Just, just a few of them. They say music and singing is a natural antidepressant. Do you know that? You know that it's very hard to stay depressed and grateful at the same time? Something's got to go, right? And the more you sing, the more your depression goes, right? Antidepressant. Listen, they say singing lowers stress levels. Singing improves mental alertness. And they say singing strengthens the immune system. So why do we worship every single week? Because there's power in the music. It's not just cool songs. It's not just, oh, look, that's fun. No, it's what you're doing is it's a mental and spiritual discipline to take your thoughts and your feelings away from you and put them in on God, who is your creator, who is your savior, who is capable. And the more you do that, what you're doing is you're doing a transfer. You are giving God all of your weaknesses and everything that's going on, and God's giving you all of his strength and all of his power. God is making sure, like... I'm not going to let you leave here the same play. Like, listen, it's a beautiful exchange that happens in worship. Like worship, not just, not just singing, but worship. When you bring in your entire being into God, why we tell you to raise your hand? It's not because there's something magical about it. It's that you're opening your entire being to receive the presence of God, the goodness of God, the healing of God, the grace of God. The, 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 the majestic understanding of who God is happens when you worship. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. When you're worshiping, God's like, I'm right there in the midst, and I'm not going to leave you the same when you're worshiping. So don't let Thanksgiving be a feast. Let Thanksgiving be a spiritual discipline. Like learn to worship not just with singing, but worship with your heart. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, the best times of worship is when no one's singing. It's when I am singing for my spirit. When I am singing for my soul. Like that's why sometimes to me, it's detrimental in church to just have lyrics and not to have the heart. Because you could be saying the songs, but your heart is far. But when you bring your heart and your lyrics and your entire being into it, now it's a worship service. Why? Because God is in the middle of your worship. Come on, I got to end. Would you stand with me tonight?
Worship it. And gratitude are weapons. Thanksgiving is a discipline. Try to start every day without leaving your house without saying thank you for practical things. Hey, you woke up today. Someone didn't. Thank you, Lord. There's a roof over my head. Thank you, Lord. Like, learn to just count your blessings and see what does that do to your inner being. It brings the right presence into you. That's why being grumpy, <laughs> being grumpy is so detrimental to your soul. Because basically, are you, what you're saying to yourself is, we are locked in here and we ain't going nowhere. And you hold the key. Gratitude says, no, we're unlocking this thing because we're blessed, we're grateful, we're here, we're alive, and we're going to take advantage of every moment that we have together. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. And for more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.